What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Talk Sam, the founder of Polygonal Mind. Polygonal Mind is a creative development studio that focuses on designing structures in virtual worlds. Although his firm has made creations for all types of games from mobile to VR, his passion lies in the metaverse. He is a fierce proponent of the metaverse and his team takes every opportunity they can to build in virtual worlds like Decentraland. We discussed NFTs, design, and creativity. We also dived into how a chance meeting led him down the rabbit hole of non-fungible tokens and how he immediately understood their implications for the broader metaverse ecosystem. I'm really looking forward to Polygonal Minds' continued progress in architecting the virtual worlds that we will soon inhabit. Please enjoy my conversation with Talk Sam. Talk Sam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got started in crypto, and then how you got involved with non-fungible tokens. Hey, man. Uh, so my real name is Daniel, just, just in case. Uh, about my background, I've been doing 3D art for around eight years now. I, I've been doing some game development before joining this crypto world. And basically, my background is about doing video games and everything related with 3D modeling and 3D art. Uh, specifically, I was very into character design when I started, so I have a bit more background in that, but that's it. About crypto, I started on crypto around a year and a couple of months ago. I was not very into it before that, but uh, it's a long story, but uh, I will short it out. Basically, a guy came to our co-working space and talked me about Decentraland. I dig in about a bit about it, and sometime afterwards, uh, we were working for it. So, so you met a, someone who started speaking to you about Decentraland because your focus was gaming, and then this guy comes around and he he starts telling you about DCL, and from there you kind of fell down the rabbit hole of crypto and non fungible tokens all at once. Oh, yes, basically. The, the thing is, this guy was making something related with uh, blockchain, and he has a wine yard. So he's selling uh, non-fungible tokens uh, in exchange of wine bottles. That was crazy to me. So, I mean, I, was, I had no idea you could do that with the blockchain. The first thing you think about when you think about crypto is about Bitcoin, uh, you know, speculation, and trademark right but this guy figured out a way to use a blockchain to to sell his wine so after some after speaking with him he told me about decentraland because in our studio we are doing an art style called low polygon low poly and decentraland has that exactly art style so we i thought it was a good fit for us that's crazy so he was he was tokenizing bottles of wine and selling the tokens and then you could like redeem the tokens for wine or how was that working? So he takes the wine, right? And he knows how many bottles he's going to be doing. Uh, let's say 100, right? 100 bottles. So he creates 100 tokens and then the people can redeem them three years later when the wine is ready to consume. Okay, cool. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned low poly. Could you tell me what low poly is for game design or just in general? Of course. Uh, low poly is an art style based on the old uh, Nintendo and, you know, the old 19 games, 3D art, 
right? When you have like these hard edge polygons with not that lot of detail. It was done that way based on limitations and as you we see today there are, you can see like high hyper realistic games but back in the day it was all low poly so it's going back to the 90s and take that and try to push it into a different form okay that's interesting you mentioned that when you were speaking to the guy about dcl you did know a little bit about bitcoin and mainly that it was like a speculative asset but what are your views today about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum? Definitely changed over time, right? Uh, I, I must admit that when he talked me about this, I was like, sure, this is not for me, right? But today I will say that it is not just for me, but it's going to be for everybody. The moment you remove the, the speculative aura from cryptos, you can start to see a lot of tools and a lot of uh, uses that you can do it with it. I guess it has changed a lot in this year, but uh, I kind of get it why people is still not believing it. Do you yourself invest in any cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or Mana? Yes, yes. We actually get paid in in day and in Mana and in different uh, cryptocurrencies. So in the beginning, I didn't keep anything on that. I always turn it into euros as, as soon as possible. But now with my own money, I kind of have some holds on Mana, also on Ethereum, and I also have compounds. I also have Dai in compounds, if that makes any sense. That's super cool. So, what was kind of that switch from when you were saying, "Okay, I'm going to convert all this to euro right away," to "Okay, I kind of see that there's some use case in this, and I can kind of see the the reason why this stuff exists." What was that thought process? Why did you decide to? start keeping some crypto versus cashing out right away to euros? At first time, it was uh, a bit about, you know, not knowing anything. So I wanted to have euros just to pay my my guys, just to pay my, my team, to pay bills, you know. So, but So the moment I was not afraid of losing my money, that would be the, the, the preference, right? The, the moment I was not afraid to losing my money, I thought, okay, let's start to keep some money here. Let's start to have some other money here. But it's always about my own self money. When it comes to the company money, it's always going to fall with euros because my team only wants euros as a, as a form of payment for now. That definitely makes a lot of sense. It's a very, very practical approach, obviously. And what what is it that attracted you to non-fungible tokens? Because you obviously, you you knew about Bitcoin a little bit, then this guy introduced you to DCL. When did you kind of discover the the underlying tech behind DCL, like the, the non-fungible token aspect? And what did you think about it when you first learned about non-fungible tokens? Yeah, so in the same conversation, he talked to me about CryptoKitties because he had a CryptoKitties sticker, right? So uh, he told me about having your own, uh, you know, having ownership about the on the on the CryptoKitty itself, right? And in the beginning, it was a bit abstract, you know, like, sure, I, I don't really get what you're saying, but okay. But the, the moment I sit down and I started to dig more into Google uh, and I saw, okay, this is something, right? Because uh, coming from game development background, you kind of see a lot of problems with data management and also ownership of things. I've been a World of Warcraft players for a lot of years, but 
If you read the contract, I'm not the owner of my characters. Blizzard is lending me those characters. So that's what changed it, right? Like, okay, so yeah, a non-fungible token is mine, but so th th that's that's the game changer, right? It is it's not longer about having a company lending you, but having you the ownership of the item itself. I completely agree with that. Right away, as gamers, you can tell the value of non-fungible tokens, you know, the fact that you can truly own these assets, right? But what are the main barriers to broader adoption? Because if you and I can instantly recognize, okay, this is huge because we played, you know, World of Warcraft, we played, you know, whatever game before, and we understand the impact of this. What is it that's stopping NFTs go more into the mainstream? I think the main issue is that it's so difficult to start to use NFTs in the first place, right? Uh, you have to know a bit about uh, crypto, you have to buy Ethereum, or you have to create a MetaMask account, and then you have to connect it, and then you have all these steps that are not very easy to do in the beginning. Also, it's not very easy to develop itself. So it's, you know, game development is actually very difficult to do. And then add on top of it, a blockchain layer. So <laughs> it, it it's also even more difficult. So. I guess it's uh, also the speculation of crypto is not helping anything at all. The, the moment I speak with somebody with, who doesn't know me about this and, and they, then I tell them that I get paid on crypto or that I work in, in this area, they, they get afraid like, oh, are you not afraid to lose your money? Are you you're not afraid about it? And I'm, I'm like, yes, crypto is just the monetary part is just one part. You can use it for other for other uh, for other reasons and for other tools, right? And then the moment you start to speak with people is okay. They start to understand that they it can be used for more things, not just to speculate. And I think that's the main barrier. People still doesn't understand what really crypto is, what really it does, and it also is really it has a really high barrier to join in right now. It's not as easy as just having your credit card in, in a web page. That makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of a combination of still cryptocurrencies have, have not the best reputation and also the fact that there's just so many steps for users plus developers to, to go through just to kind of implement these features in their games. So going off of that, what do you think will make NFTs go mainstream? Like, do you think that It'll be some sort of, I don't know, onboarding feature where it's like one-click onboarding and everything's ready to go for the user standpoint. Like they, I don't know, let's say that they instantly get Ether and they instantly get an account and like they don't have to worry about their remembering their seed phrase. It's just a regular username and password. Like, do you think it'll be some type of onboarding thing that makes NFTs go mainstream? Or do you think it'll be some type of viral game like CryptoKitties gets really big and people just kind of will jump through all those hoops in order to get on that game. Okay, I don't think it will be like one day thing, right? Uh, it will be a process where people will be starting to see more interest into cryptocurrencies. Actually, this uh, this issue we're having globally right now are, are raising some questions about crypto, right? I, I have friends who I didn't speak to them for years that are asking me for help to turn some money into Ethereum or Bitcoin right now. So I guess it will start with people paying more attention into crypto itself. And then gaming is going to be also one of the main pushers, in, in my opinion. 
Uh, also, people who use virtual reality will be having a, a lot of impact when it comes to a, uh, mass adoption of cryptocurrencies because they will have ownership on the items they, be, they buy for the virtual life, right? So it's not going to be just one thing. It's going to be a consequence of various things going on. A lot of big companies have to join into the blockchain thing and it will be, it will happen, but very slowly. So there could be another viral game, but there's still too much, too many kind of bears in the way in terms of like onboarding and stuff like that to really make it widely adopted. You think it's going to be like a slow and steady approach where people are slowly onboarding into the ecosystem and slowly starting to understand more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it will be a slowly, eventually we'll have like frictionless uh, adoption, like, you know, the UX or the user experience is going to improve, of course. And once that is improving, that will help to go faster. But it will be a slow process. The, the moment we see like, you know, uh, Blizzard going to blockchain or a huge company saying, okay, we're, oh, let's say Fortnite, right? The moment Fortnite said we're going to blockchain, all these kids playing Fortnite, they are go just going to accept it as it is. This, they are not going to question if it is good or bad. They're, okay, this big company is using it, I will use it too. That's it. Your background is in traditional game development. How important is kind of user onboarding to gaming? Because I, I have no idea. So I'd love to hear from your point of view. How important is that? It's the most important thing you can have, right? So, really? Yeah, I am very deep into mobile game development. And the attention span of the user is it's very short. You have to get the attention of the player in the five, in the first five seconds or so, or you're lost. Are you just saying that as like a, a euphemism, or is that true? Like actually five seconds? It could be ten seconds, but I'm really saying that this regular player of mobile games are just uh, looking for something to be entertained while they are in the bus, or while they are in the bathroom, or while they are waiting on a on, on a line, right? So. It's not something that they want to invest a lot of time on it. They want just to get in, play, and get out. They don't want to sit down and stay for three hours learning about the company and learning about how these characters do this kind of things. Of course, there is also a place for that, but most players in mobile, they're just join, play, out. So you have to get them right now or you're lost. That's crazy. I can't believe that it's seconds that, that you need to kind of convince them to play your game. That does make sense in terms of mobile because as you mentioned, people are either you know going to the bathroom or they're waiting in the subway or whatever, something like that. So is there a big difference between PC gaming and mobile gaming kind of onboarding? Like are PC gamers much more much more patient? Yes, of course. Yes, because the, when you are a PC gamer, you are going to sit down there and be four hours you know, five hours, two hours, but you, you have time. You, you made the commitment to sit down to, on your computer and explore this world or play this other thing. Uh, the moment you buy something for PC is something that you maybe watch a video about it or maybe you saw a review on some magazine or, you know, you, you know what you are going to play. But on mobile, you're just browsing on your screen and see, okay, this, this game is cool, let's, let's try it, right? It's totally different totally different kind of behavior. I wanted to ask you about Polygonal Minds because that is the company that you are the CEO of and I'd love to hear from you, what is Polygonal Minds? We're a creative development studio. Uh, we started as a video game company, but uh, I started it like five years ago with my friends. 
but uh, we tried to make a game together but didn't work out so he left and I decided that I didn't want to like close it because it took some time to for us to you know open the company and have everything set up and I also didn't want to work for anyone else at that time so I decided to turn it into a um, uh, outsourcing art studio and that's what it's today I guess we have evolved a lot of from them I, I'm not just alone anymore we are a team of seven people now uh, with a lot of more connections uh, a lot of projects already been done but at the end of the day we're very focused on art itself rather than game development we are developing games but we haven't released any uh, any yet because we always end up wrapping up with client work so why did you kind of do the transformation from focusing on game development to focusing on more of the uh, artistic slash creative aspect of games oh because uh, i studied programming but i also studied 3d art and i decided to become a 3d artist right so the moment my programmer partner left I was alone, right? I, I, I couldn't do it myself, just a game myself. So I decided to just do art for other people, learn how it works, you know, learn how, how I can provide service to a company and be, you know, successful on it and how production teams works and how timelines works. So it was a process of just focusing on one thing, becoming good, really good on it and then improving. The 3D modeling, can you dive deeper into that? Because I'm not technical, but I understand like what programming is, but 3D modeling to me, is that like, can you explain it as like a programming language? Like there's many different styles of 3D modeling and this language showcases this type of 3D modeling or like how exactly can, does that work? I will say it's more related to sculpture, right? It's more related to having uh, some special mind right and, and thinking about how shapes work together how it doesn't work together uh, mixing different kind of colors is more doing painting painting and sculpting than rather programming at the moment i have to write any code i just quit so it has to be very visual that's really cool so coding is a very engineering focused mathematical process and this is more of an artistic creative process yeah, exactly that's really cool. How has business been? How has the 3D modeling industry been? Because obviously there's so many games out there that are increasing their graphics and creativity and kind of, you know, the worlds, the virtual worlds that they're, they're building. So how has that been? Yeah, it's been doing good. I mean, I started alone and now we are seven. So it's, it's, it's good. Uh, most of the studio is artists. Uh, we only have like one programmer. Uh, we also work with uh, freelancers, but... Uh, the most part of the studio are 3D artists. So uh, it's definitely increasing and it's going to be increasing over time, not just for gaming, but also for retail stores and also for uh, other kind of things. So I think it's going to increase as as much as programming demand is increasing. I think 3D modeling is going to increase also. What is your market focus within this space? Are you looking at only video game virtual worlds are you looking at all types of different games or like yeah what is your market focus it has shifted over time since we are doing low poly uh the f in the beginning it was mobile gaming because mobile game still needs a lot of optimization and low poly is based on optimization so the moment you have something with a few polygons is already optimized in a sense i 
Of course not, it's, it's more complex than that, but in a sense. So it started with mobile gaming and I, I was very always interested into uh, virtual reality, I think it's the future. And that's why we started working on things uh, for virtual reality. And I guess it has been shifting over time. Right now we are very focused on uh, mobile gaming and anything related with the metaverse. I'm a really big, big believer in the metaverse. So anything I can do or anything uh, we can provide help on building worlds or platforms that will interconnect people. I'm very happy to work on that. All right, let's dive a little bit deeper into DCL and what you're kind of building there. So that person you met, they kind of introduced you to DCL and NFTs and et cetera. So how long from that meeting did you decide, okay, I'm going to start building stuff in DCL? Um, it was not right away. Uh, the moment I met this person, he we didn't talk for a month or something, but he wrote me an email like, okay, I want to port my wine yard into Decentraland. And I was, okay, this guy wants to pay me to work on this uh, platform. Let's have, you know, more knowledge about what he's talking about. And then I started to, to show more about this. Then I joined the, their, their Discord. And then I saw that a lot of people were doing 3D art, but they were not so good. I mean, it, it was not bad, but we were doing a lot of cool stuff that could fit their world. So we started doing some tests to, you know, show off skills to the community or their Discord. And eventually people started to reach out to us like, hey, you do really cool stuff. I never seen someone doing anything like that before in the central land. And then a lot of people started to talk about us, with us, right? Some of them were very interested into working with us, but they were not very interested in paying us. <laughs> Some of them uh, were very just browsing, you know. And then the, after some time, uh, someone who wanted to support us and also was very interested into improving their land finally hired us to commission some something for their land. So how many builds have you done in DCL and what are those builds like? Oh, we have built a lot. Like in the last year, we have built more than 800 uh, lands. 800? Yes. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. We have done a lot of pro different projects. In the beginning, they were small projects there, and then it scaled up into bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. So some people, they approach you, they said, hey, I have a piece of land or maybe a couple pieces of land. I want to build a house. And then it kind of scaled up from there like, hey, I want to build a whole experience, a whole game. Or how did that work? Oh, uh, yes, it was similar to that. Yes, but uh, more about building art galleries, crypto art galleries inside the central end. So I guess it, they, all these people already had a lot of land, right? So the average user in the central land or the average investor in the central land, they don't have that many land. So they cannot afford to pay us for building on, you know, because the, we have uh, a team, we have a structure, we give a lot of high quality detail on everything we do. So uh, maybe someone who just have a couple of lands is not uh, a good fit for us. So we got in touch with people who had a lot of lands and these people wanted like, okay, I have this big chunk and I want it to be cool. You know, I want it to be something awesome. And I also want you to 
uh, find a way that you can use my other NFTs inside the central land to display them and you know improving my whole portfolio at, at, in a sense yeah as, as a whole what are your personal opinions on crypto slash nft art oh it's awesome i actually started to become a crypto artist myself too because i saw that it was really cool the idea of having something unique that that's what nfts are all about right having unique digital assets so having a unique token of of an artwork a digital artwork is just amazing and, and the fact that you can track who bought it all, all the time or the fact that you can have a small percentage revenue for each uh, sale after that is just amazing it's, it's the future of art in my, in my own opinion oh no I, I completely agree with that I think that NFT slash crypto art whatever you call it I think that there's a huge it's basically a huge step evolution in art because Everything that provides art value, like provenance and you know creativity, it's evolving into all those pieces into the digital era. You know, async art—they always say programmable. So when you have a piece of art that's programmable, you can literally do anything you want. And I think it's so cool now that we saw some art go digital art go from you know gifs to now video with sound to now async is working on their uh, art that kind of changes and reacts to like outside factors. So it's so cool to see the really quick and amazing evolution of art in digital format. Yes, it's really cool. Also, if you talk with uh, artists that are traditional artists, right? Because I, I spoke with traditional artists about this and they are very interested into it too. Like, okay, this is what we thought art could become uh, 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and that's So this is uh, seems like the natural evolution of it. Interesting. So these traditional artists that you spoke with, they thought that because of the internet, the digital art would have come sooner because uh, the internet was already booming and it was already possible to create it? They were not thinking about digital art, but the way to sell their traditional art would evolve into something similar to that. Yeah, I think uh, with NFTs, it was kind of the missing piece uh, in order to be able to effectively sell digital pieces of art because obviously, as, as you pointed out, it's all about unique digital items. So I wanted to ask you about the metaverse because you said that you are a big fan of virtual reality slash the metaverse. And I want to ask you, like, what is the metaverse to you? Like, what, in your opinion, what is the metaverse? What is the metaverse? The metaverse for me is a multi-layer connected reality that you can just hop in and change world anytime you want. You know, it, that's the basic for me. You, you, you have to, these different layers, these different realities that you can just, you know, walk there and talk with someone and then go to another place like if you were just hoping for a portal or something like that. It's something that uh, will, I hope to be seen in the future soon. <laughs> Do you think the metaverse has to be a, a virtual reality environment or can you have a metaverse that is like PC slash you know, mobile phone based? It's not just virtual reality. I, I think it's about virtual, uh, virtual layers of it, right? The, the real life we're living in it, we are living right now is one of the layers. And you have uh, augmented reality layers, then you have uh, virtual reality layers. Uh, so it's the connection of everything. Eventually, virtual reality will take over and will um, be the, the, the place that people will uh, recognize as the metaverse. But our reality is also one of the layers. It's not that we just kind of remove reality, right? So we have to accept that we are in it 
is, is the basic one. So this is kind of out there, but do you think that people will spend more time in virtual reality than in physical reality? Probably yes. Uh, probably yes. Uh, when I was a, a World Warcraft player, I, I played for 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day, and I, I didn't miss, like I was not uh, crying for not leaving my house. So I only see this uh, increasing over time. I, I'm kind of of the similar opinion where if you can, you know, in a virtual environment, you know, if I want to fly or if I want to transport myself to Mount Everest or, you know, have superpowers, whatever, you can do that. And I think that being able to have, you know, superpowers is, is obviously, it is a universal appeal to pretty much everybody. And so if you could have a place where you could do that, I think people are going to want to spend more time in those places and, and the physical, if you could earn money and earn a living and kind of meet your friends and do all that in a virtual, then the physical is going to kind of lose its, lose its appeal to a lot of people, which I think is super interesting. Yes, uh, I'm not sure if it will lose the libido, but I think that's the downside of it, right? That we will lose, um, we will not want to be in real life anymore. That's the the bad thing about this. Is one of the things that I don't really like about it, but I I'm sure that it will happen anyway. So. Um, so what's really interesting is that I think we we see it today as a bad thing. And, you know, maybe it is a bad thing, but no, it probably it's is. It's not a bad thing. It's more, more like a sad thing that we cannot, that we... Like enjoy. Enjoy it, yes. Exactly. That's an interesting thought. I wonder if it's, though, a kind of a natural evolution of things. You know, maybe, this is getting really crazy, but maybe in like, there's other civilizations that are, you know, really, really far away, some part of the universe or something like that. And maybe the natural evolution of intelligent beings is to get advanced enough where they build really great virtual environments and they're like, hey, you know what? The physical world's pretty pretty intense. We, we like to live in this virtual world because we can do anything we want in there. And so maybe it's a natural evolution of things, possibly. Yes, I think so. If, uh, if you, how to say, this is going to sound a bit um, crazy also. Uh, if you read a bit about uh, Egyptian times, they had two lives. Or, or they say that they had two lives, right? The, the, the life they had when they uh, were awake and the life they had when they were sleeping. They were uh, very into having lucid dreams and they could do anything they wanted into lucid dreams, right? So they could be an slave in real life, but they could do whatever they wanted in lucid dreams. So I think we lost all that technology or all that knowledge and we are repeating uh, story itself but with technology we are trying to create our own reality uh, to escape this one because we want to have uh, you know creative freedom or something similar wow that's really cool i had no idea that that was a thing i definitely want to look more into that because that's a really interesting idea back then obviously there was no technology in order to create your own kind of world and now we're, we're getting to the point where people can jump in these virtual environments like Minecraft or Roblox or whatever it might be and kind of build their, their perfect virtual kind of world or life, which I think is super, super intriguing. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's all about creativity and, and doing more uh, than just what can, you can do in real life. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that there's a, people in general, they have this innate, most people I would say, have this innate need to create and kind of be creative. And what's a better spot to do that than in a virtual environment? And especially if you can combine 
you know, the social aspect where you have your friends with you. So you're getting that social and then you have the creativity by building, you know, a house or building a world, whatever. That's why that there's such mass appeal for virtual environments. Yeah, exactly. And also it could be used to improve uh, real life. Imagine we could like create a building in, in virtual reality collaboratively, you know, uh, with a group of friends and then uh, run some tests and see if this place could be also built in real life. So you could, uh, you know, you can do some testing and then apply into real life way faster than if you do it without any virtual reality tools. Yeah, that's super interesting. So almost like a a beta test for the real world, like the physical world, is that you build this structure in there and you can see the stresses on the structure and kind of create it. Yeah, if you pay attention to virtual reality, uh, game is actually not the thing that is pushing it, it's learning learning how to drive, learning how to, you know, operate someone open heart or uh, learning is what is pushing virtual reality forward, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that that's a massive, massive use case that I actually don't think about enough. But you're absolutely correct with kind of knowledge and learning, because if I could, you know, back in school, I didn't really I wasn't the best student. But if I could, if I could go to class and we could learn about, you know, as you mentioned, like building like physics, you know, like, hey, if you stack you know, th- these, this structure like this way, it's going to fall like this way. And here's the force and here's the physics of it. You know, you're immersed and it's really, you become like engrossed into that story and engrossed into that world. Yeah. The thing is, once you have the, the Googles on yourself, you cannot escape that. So you cannot just, you know, look out the window to see who's going by, or you cannot just uh, watch out the phone to talk with someone else. You're virtual reality and you can just do that. You cannot escape or having second thing on the on the side. For now, I'm sure that will happen also. But for now, you can just be engaged on what you're doing that right in that same moment. So that's I think is so powerful for learning. Super interesting. I never thought about the level of engagement within a virtual virtual headset or whatever. Because as a student, you can't really be distracted. You can't look at your phone. Can't really like mess around too much or look at the window. You're kind of completely focused on that thing that you're learning and. I wonder what that will do t- for people's actual ability to develop knowledge about stuff. It'll probably increase massively, I, w- I would imagine. Are you setting up polygonal minds in order to kind of catch this wave of the metaverse? Or are you just happen to be in the right time, right place? And you're like, oh, well, it just so happens that polygonal minds can do great work in the metaverse. Were you playing this for a long time or did it just kind of happen? I think it's a mix of the two things, right? I wanted to be an independent company that built cool stuff and that cool stuff happens to be something that I like, which is virtual reality worlds. I'm a huge fan of Matrix, I'm a huge fan of Tron, I'm a huge fan of anything that has to be with uh, parallel reality. So I think it happened naturally or by a chance or maybe by destiny, I don't know. It's, it's happened that way and I'm really happy about it. In the future I want to keep growing the studio and getting more projects into metaverse stuff and also virtual reality games rather than just uh, running their mobile games. Yeah, I would definitely imagine that the space, the industry that you're in right now is going to just keep on exploding like in, in terms of market size because I definitely, I do not see this uh, ecosystem slowing down whatsoever. I just see it accelerating intensely fast paced. So 
I think you're perfectly positioned to to take advantage of that. Yeah, and I hope so. We are already building in different platforms and different layers. We are building in CryptoVoxels. We are building in the Central Land. We are building in uh, BR Chat. We have also done some stuff for Beat Saber. We have also done uh, stuff for regular games. You know, this is something that I position myself as a neutral think you know not not getting married with any platform itself but also providing a lot of value in in all the platforms that we work for or we have working yeah i i hope that the the thing that we can keep that way you know like just building stuff getting more more artists to build even more stuff and and seeing that people is enjoying those places because the cool thing is when you when someone's uh talks to you on discord and it's like hey i just visited your uh you know, your transit system, and it was amazing. Good job, guys. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, that's that's the good stuff. Yeah, that must be the best feeling when someone compliments and uses a creation that you guys made. That must be awesome to experience that. You said you did some work on Beat Saber. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, we helped in, uh, you know, Green Day environment. It's made by us. And also the avatar they used for one of their commercials was also made by us. That's awesome. So um, I played Beat Saber a couple times. So one of the levels you said was made by you guys? Uh, no, the levels, no, just the environment. Okay, okay, the environment. Okay, that's awesome. That's really great. And also VR Chat. What have you done in that world? Oh, VR Chat is very interesting. So back in 2018, I did uh, 100 avatars in 100 days. I decided to port those avatars into VR Chat. And now they are featured into VR Chat because we basically did 100 avatars for free for everybody and we are you know i i love to see vr chat videos and see our characters being used by everybody we also have like a world set up for those characters that we are actually improving because it was a bit outdated but that was it we are also looking to do more stuff into vr chat related with avatars that's awesome. So I don't really know about VR Chat's monetization model, but where's the money in that kind of ecosystem? Officially, nowhere. Unofficially, in avatar creation. There are communities of avatar creators and avatar buyers. So it's not official. I know that the VR Chat uh, team knows about it, but uh, they are not supporting it or they are not giving them any tools to have that working properly. But it's going, it's happening. I mean, also people is commissioning other people to build worlds. So it's pretty much like the central end, but not being, you know, supported by uh, the platform itself. That's really interesting. I wonder why that they're against creating kind of native markets for avatars in VR chat. Oh, I think they're not against at all. I think they're just uh, focusing on other stuff. VRChat is really good. I mean, I really love what they are doing. I think they're more focused on getting more people into the platform before looking for monetizations. That's interesting. From my naive perspective, I would think that if you allowed people to start trading these avatars or kind of create a marketplace for them, they could earn more money by taking a marketplace fee, maybe. And then also it could attract more people because maybe some people would say, hey, you know, I made 50 bucks last week trading some avatars. Like, you should check it out. But what is your perspective on that? I think it's a fight. I think uh, there's no right answer on that. I think the more you monetize things, the less experimental and the less creative they can become because you are tied to proof, proof revenue out of it. 
So you, you are more focused on having revenue than really experimenting and having a good place. I think eventually ways of monetization in VR chat will happen, but I'm really happy with the, with their approach. Like let's get a lot of people on, on the platform. Let's see how they behave. Let, let's listen to them, uh, work with them. And then let's, let's see how in the future we can monetize it because here's the fact VR chat has way more users than the other metaverse platforms combined. So I think they're doing something right. I want to ask you about your builds in CryptoVoxels. What is Polygonal Mind doing within CryptoVoxels? Ah, right now we are just uh, building stuff for ourselves. We are building, I built a gallery for myself, also made some wearables that I sell there. And then I uh, started to talk with Jin about doing something in the Makers uh, district because I want to help him to improve Makers district. I, I really believe in that district as a concept itself of being the place to gather around for people making stuff around the world. So uh, I built a, a canteen recently in the weekends is something that I do in my free time and then I want to build something on that clock tower to have like a meeting point where all the stuff that is going on around the market around the district can be found that's awesome it seems like you're just so focused on everything having to do with creativity and design and working on all those different aspects of the metaverse and I think that that's a obviously a massively important aspect of the metaverse so that's really cool to see you do that yeah yeah i'm very i'm a believer, I'm a believer into interoperability among platforms and among uh, things so anything i can do i uh, just try to do it uh, sometimes it's just too much i take too too many things but uh, <laughs> i get bored if i don't do things so i think it's good to take on too many projects at once because uh it kind of pushes you one and two as you mentioned, you, you kind of can learn about all these different things that maybe you wouldn't normally jump into. So I think that's, uh, I think that you're definitely taking the right approach. All right, let's jump into the closing questions. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? Oh, I guess that's my CryptoVoxels parcel because it was the first one I bought. And before that, I just had like, you know, concepts of how to have NFTs and, and things, but Gene, push me like, hey, you have to buy something here. Uh, if you want to invest in something, uh, don't do it on the central end. Do it on crypto boxes because you will be able to see results right now. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So that's that's my favorite one. That's awesome. So where's the parcel located? 12th Bacon Arcade. Oh, that's awesome. Is, is that in Makers, uh, Makers uh, District? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. All right, next one. What is something that you'd like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the NFT ecosystem? What I like to see is having a frictionless uh, onboarding process. That would be awesome. Some, something that you can just pay with credit cards and then later on learn about crypto and turn your things into crypto slowly rather than having this huge barrier to enter. So it's funny you say that because have you heard of Nifty Gateway? Uh, no. So Nifty Gateway is this new NFT exchange where they accept Ethereum as payment and they also accept credit card as payment. The sign-up process is super easy. You just enter in your email and password and hook up your credit card and then you're you're ready to go. Uh, I've purchased one thing from there. 
I think it was last week because they recently opened up and it was crazy because I literally just paid with my credit card and that kind of blew me away and the, the simplicity of it kind of blew me away. Their company, it's run by two brothers, Duncan and Griffin. They were actually acquired by Gemini is the Winklevoss twins. So so that's um, a really, really good sign on that front. You should definitely check it out because that onboarding process is, yeah, is very, very simple. Anyways, that, that, that was kind of a shill, but I think it's really great what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds really interesting. All right. What role do NFTs play in the metaverse? Oh, they, they give ownership on the assets that you will have around the metaverse. Do you think that a metaverse, a true metaverse, would be possible without true asset ownership, like with NFTs? Or do you think that true metaverse couldn't really form until people kind of had the economic security of like private property? I think it's possible to have a metaverse without NFTs, of course. You know, people doesn't really care about the technology that they're using. But in the best case scenario, we will be using this to have ownership on our assets of course, it can happen without it, right? I'm not a believer into like crypto or not or nothing. I, I think there can be centralized and decentralized platforms and even a mix of them. And also think that Facebook is working on Horizon, right? And that's going to be a game changer. So a lot of people will jump into the metaverse with Horizon and they will not will not know anything about nifties so i think it's going to be a huge tool and we have to push to to have people the knowledge that they can have uh, ownership on, on the assets but i also see that it's possible that you people just ignore it you bring up a really good point how a lot of people can be involved with a metaverse without really knowing too deeply about the aspects of it like people are going on facebook horizons they're not going to know necessarily about nfts going from my kind of harsh definition of the metaverse where it's a virtual environment where people live work and play in and i think that you can't necessarily work truly within a native environment unless you can own uh, digitally native assets plus also have like a digitally native currency so i think that in my opinion which is harsher than most people's that a true metaverse wasn't really possible until the advent of cryptocurrencies and NFTs, because you can now uh, have that completely native money and you can now have that completely native digital asset ownership. So it's not in the hands of the developer, like as, as you mentioned before, like World of Warcraft, like Blizzard doesn't own your sword, you actually own your sword. And like all that gold you're earning in World of Warcraft, that's actually some crypto token and you actually own that. That's kind of my my kind of uh, thought process around that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the same. That would be the, the best case scenario right that would be the perfect thing that to happen but we have to be present and we have to think that it can also go the other way around if the mass you know with the, when the masses join into these virtual worlds like they are doing now right because i saw an increase in people joining games these days uh, they have to be aware that they can have uh, ownership on things rather than giving them to Facebook or to Blizzard or to EA Games or whatever. But it can happen, right? It, it, we have to be aware that it can happen. We cannot... Uh, the, the, the issue I see with the, the NFT space is that they are closed down and they are doing an echo chamber, talking all the time about uh, things and everything that is not related to crypto is not uh, good enough. So we have to see that most people doesn't understand what we are talking about. Most people doesn't give a shit about what we are talking about right now. Maybe in the future they do, but that's why we have to be 
very responsible about it because if the metaverse starts to happen with uh, the old systems, it will be very difficult to shift back and redo stuff uh, in the future. I completely agree with that. One thing that I'm hoping for and one thing that we've kind of seen is that economic incentives are really, really powerful. And so I think that on Facebook Horizons, for example, if you could not monetize your creations, but you could you know, have the ability to create whatever you want, that's pretty cool just because it's very creative. But if you could have another platform that's, let's say, a Facebook Horizons clone, and you could create whatever you want, but you have the ability to monetize that, then I think that that's going to hopefully bring more and more people towards the NFT ecosystem. It's, it's kind of like my dream, but we'll see. Yeah, but what if uh, you can monetize on, on Horizon? Yeah, so just like Roblox. I think Roblox is not blockchain-based at all, and it's massively successful because the people can monetize their creations on there. And I think that that's like the first step, like monetization of your creation. And then beyond that, it's like, okay, everything that you created, you don't actually own it. So it'd be great if you could actually own those creations that you monetize. I think that slowly, slowly, like it's going to be monetization, then it's going to be true ownership. But, you know, it's it's going to take a long time. Yeah, yes, of course. I don't think it's going to be overnight. It's going to be a process that we have to... Uh, that we have to be that we are going to be seeing. I'm completely sure that they, it will be be something to to do in the future. I agree. All right. What are the key factors for success for an NFT project? I don't really have any NFT projects myself, so uh, I'm not the best person to answer this. But I think it's the community uh, having someone to give you feedback, uh, listen to them, working with them. Uh, also, those those. People in the community end up also being, uh, you know, a good uh, revenue model to, to prove. So it's very important that you have support because if, if you don't have anybody, anybody to buy your NFTs or to be interested in your NFTs, you are, you're lost. And I think it's, you mentioned that you don't have an NFT project, but I think you're the perfect person to ask because you are a NFT user. And so figuring out exactly what the user wants and what the user is looking for then the people that are building, they can kind of go based off of what, what, the, what the people are demanding or what, what they want. So I think that that's a really valuable insight. All right, last question. Where do you see the world of NFTs in three years? Oh, interesting. I think it will be, it will have way more users than the tests now, for sure. I joined a year ago and I can see a lot of more users now. So I guess in three years, we will see a lot of more users. If we start to see like big companies baking it, hey, we're, uh, you know, EA games and we are going to make this uh, blockchain game with NFTs and all this stuff, uh, we will see way, way, way more users that we can see right now. All right, so in your opinion, uh, actually, no, let's estimate that today there's probably, this is kind of a guesstimation actually, but 50,000 NFT users, okay? so. If we're at 50,000 today, in three years, what is your guesstimate? Hmm, I don't know. A million? Let's hope for that. Do you think that within three years, we would see a larger game company, maybe not EA size, but you know, significantly larger than what we've seen? Do you think within three years, we'll see a big studio kind of come into the space? Yes, 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 yes. It's happening now. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you are following uh, Sandbox, but they are doing really good job into bringing uh, non-blockchain partners into their game. They just close something with Atari and with uh, Square Enix. So 
I think that's uh, that's going to happen. I agree. Sandbox is really just doing a great job getting kind of a wider audience involved. So I've heard about Atari, of course, but I don't know about Square Enux. Are they a, a very large studio? Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> it's just like uh, this big company that they... Do you know any games that they've created that I, I might know that are... Yes, 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 uh, yes. Final Fantasy, for example. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so they are extremely large. Yes. That's awesome news that they're... Uh, so, so yeah, definitely within three years, there could be a lot more, a lot more participants and a lot more, a lot more users, which would be amazing. Yes, yes. That's what I mean. They are doing a really good job finding the right partner. So... Uh, it's not about that the companies it themselves uh, create a, a project of blockchain. That that's maybe not happening. But if they are supporting projects and they are uh, you know making partnerships and they eventually make their own stuff, and, and the moment one big company joins, the other big companies are going to jump also because there is a huge amount of competition in the game development industry. So. Uh, the moment one company, you know, uh, show offs like, hey, we're giving uh, privacy to the users, uh, ownership for them. I'm sure that the other companies are going to just jump in if their users prefer those products. We, we also have to, to understand that the users have to prefer products based on blockchain first. Right. I totally get that. And I think that you're absolutely right about competition. You know, no one wants to be left behind, especially when it comes to technology. So people are gonna to wanna to continually adopt what they think could be the next big thing. So let's hope for that future. Yeah, let's hope for that. All right, talk Sam. If people want to find out more about Polygonal Minds, wanna reach out to you on, I don't know, Twitter or whatever, where can people talk to you and where can they reach you? Twitter is a good uh, tool to reach out to me. They can also reach out to, on, to us into in Discord. We have our own server, so. Uh, Discord and Twitter will be the best place for finding us. Also, our website. So what is your website URL? Uh, polygonalmind.com. Okay, cool. And then also, that's the same with the Twitter. It's polygonalmind. Yeah, yeah, polygonalmind and Toxam. Not, not slashes, not anything difficult to remember. Awesome. Well, Toxam, thank you so much for joining me today. It was absolutely amazing chatting with you. And you'll have to come back on again in the future so we can chat more about the metaverse. Sure, of course. It was it was awesome to talk about. So so long with someone about this kind of stuff. But sometimes you kind of feel alone <laughs> talking to yourself. So definitely, definitely. All right, man. Great, great chatting. We'll chat soon. Okay. Hey everyone, stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.